right. Hey, everybody. Alex Shaw with your Risk Matters podcast. I got Frank Gonzalez here from Moore's Electric hey sitting guys. with me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I assume everybody else out there is doing <laughs> well. Also, well, you pulled up in a pretty sweet new ride. Tell us a little bit about that. Dude, I have been, I bought a little 200 um, CB1974 that basically is like a faster bicycle. And I love it. I mean, Cafe Racer. It screams, but I'm like, man, I just wanted something a little bit more modern, fuel-injected, because I'm not, like, the technical guru, and my yep. gas was always messing up. So I finally bought this Husqvarna 401k, 401, and, um, dude, it's it's so fun. I already put some mods on it, ch- changed out the mirrors, changed out the blinkers to brighter ones, cut the tail down so it looks cool. You know, I can't drive around on something that doesn't... You, cool. you well, you you met your goal because you pulled up, <laughs> and I was I thought that's about the coolest look you could it have. Good, the helmet, man. all the way to the helmet is is really cool. Actually, that helmet I bought, and it was more expensive than the CB two hundred bike that I bought. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was, I'm oh not joking. It's, I'm embarrassed to even say that, but I. It, it's the truth. That's absurd. So, well, it's good to see you. Always good to sit down with you. Um, and today, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your. Uh, extracurricular activities, one of those at least, um, and, and that would be ultra running. Yeah. So when did you, I mean, it, for, for maybe folks who don't know, it, it, at least locally, but I'd say even broader than that, you, you've made a pretty big, pretty big splash in the ultra running world. Most of the races around here, the 50 milers, the 50 Ks, the 100 miler, um, you know, grindstone, you're hitting the top five, top 10 in most of those, which is and that's not anything to blink at. I, I put it this way. To get a B, to do an ultra marathon, I would argue a lot more people could do it than they think. It, it, to, to, and, and in terms of, like, college, in college it's not that hard to get a B, right. depending on the school you go to. To get an A, that's an exponent more energy and effort. That's weekend work, depending on the class, yeah. too. But there's a whole other layer of preparation and time and commitment that takes to get an A, and I'd, I'd say you're an A player. And so how did you get started? Were you an A player when you no, started? No, and that's, that was the funny thing is in 2009, um, went to the doctor for the first time. I got a job that required me to do a wellness visit. So huh. I went to the doctor, and I was 235 pounds at that point, and my cholesterol was high. And you're not 6'6". Six, six. And I'm we'll not 6'6". Six, six. I'm 5'6". <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that, but 5'6", 235, you know, that's 85 pounds heavier than what the doctor says you should be, which I wasn't that since ninth grade. But either way, cholesterol was high. He's like, I'm going to put you on some medicine. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm 32, man. I, I don't... I don't need medicine. I'm just going to start running. And I remember my first run. And don't get me wrong. I've always been an athlete. At that point, I was into lifting heavy weights. Mm. I was bulking up big. But, I mean, I was, let's just call it husky, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, husky's a good (laughs) word. So I was husky. Those are the shorts my mom used to buy me when I was a kid. I I thought they were cool. And now I know what they meant. (laughs) So I was husky, you know. So um I started running. I remember my first three-mile run around the Windhurst area. It's, it's a local area that has sidewalks. And I remember just dying, like, oh, my gosh, how do people do this? And then when I built up to nine miles in one week, I just thought I was doing something. I mean, it was awesome. So someone introduced me to trail running. They're like, hey, you could do this on the trails. 
and it would be awesome. So sure enough, man, I go hit my first trail run, and it was 18 miles. I had no clue. <laughs> Someone's like, oh, let's just run 18 miles. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll try. You know, I had built up to nine miles in a week. And I remember cramping so bad and hurting and not eating and bonking. And I was just like, this is the worst feeling. And then when I finished, I'm like, but I want more. Like there was <laughs> something in there that I just said, I want more. And so a month later, I ran my first uh, ultra marathon, Promised Land. It's a local 50K, a tough one. I didn't realize what I was doing. I went That's a really hard one. Yeah. A lot I went of elevation. I went and bought shoes from Ross and I found the ones that said trail on right. it. I'm like, yeah, I think I got them. <laughs> it turns out they're horrible shoes. <laughs> and I like blasted my feet through that. And, you know, was, uh, but little by little, just it turns out ultra marathoning is an eating and drinking competition mm. with some running thrown in. Mm. And I, I can eat and drink with the best of them. <laughs> I really can. And so I can run and I can eat. I can eat pizza. I can eat salami. I can eat while I run. And it just turns out if you can do that, you have a knack for it. And, and then little by little, man, the weight just started shedding off. And I remember getting down to like 170 and just being able to compete like in the top three, top five, top ten. And I was just like, okay, let's keep this going. So... So what? Uh, so that a lot of that resonates. Some of it, certainly not the part where you went from three miles to to nine miles yeah. to eighteen miles in a short period of time. Um, but part of that that resonates for me is the nutritional element of it. So tell me what your part of the a love story and the evolution, people's growth and and development. I think that's a big part of just let's just call it the goal yeah. in anything. What was your initial nutritional strategy? Understanding there wasn't a strategy there, but <laughs> but what, there, what did there that was, involve? Yeah, I mean, it it was no strategy, right? For the most part, in the beginning, you just eat and water, and you eat off of aid stations. And then after you start getting better, you find out that it's probably better if you bring your own food, your own, you know, uh, gels. If you bring your own hydration and um, what we call like S caps, which are um, supplements for, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, like salt tabs mm, and yeah. stuff like that. Sodium so, and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm looking at it, and I just told you from zero to 100, but it took me two and a half years. Mm. It took me two and a half years from the time that I started running my first ultra to being able to run 100 miles. And, I mean, so you got the short, short version, but it's a lot. I mean, from figuring out what to eat, what to drink, what to wear so you don't chafe. I mean, and again, I'm I'm a pretty big boy, so I tend to rub skin against <laughs> a lot of stuff. So. So, yeah, so what is the, wh how do you manage that if you want to call it a risk? Oh the gosh. risk of chafing, At the which end is of the day is serious. to lower the probabilities, don't let your skin rub against other skin. Yeah. So you can do that through clothing. You can do it through, you know, um, I, I call it like non-petroleum-based uh, lubricant, but that's really what it comes down to. And you don't know until you basically run long enough to be like, oh, okay, I didn't know I could shave in that area or this or that or, you know, and you just find things. But again, it takes you, I mean, a long time to figure those things out. Yeah. So what I, so something that just stuck out there is that you can only understand the next step to take when you do it. And I think so often about the academic component of like clients we work with, 
who there's a lot of training, a lot of academic training, but what it looks like out in the field, I made this example the other day in a meeting. I, how many of you guys have put together a, a piece of furniture from Ikea? And everybody raises their hand. How many of you uh, had a screw that bent, and it was the only screw for that part, so you yeah. had to adapt in the moment and figure it out? But you couldn't have anticipated that necessarily until the next time you order an Ikea box or set of furniture, and you go, okay, I remember last time. How am I going to manage that a little bit better this time? So you talk about chafing, and <laughs> yeah. you can only you only appreciate how important it is to avoid that when you experience it, and you've got five or ten or fifteen more miles to go, and you're like, oh my gosh. And the crazy thing about it is, it's it's like anything. In the beginning, you depending on the work you're putting in. I think of it like anything. What we do for protection there at Moore's is you see results fairly easy with a little bit of work. Mm. Like, you just start like, oh, okay, if I lost five pounds, you just get faster because it's two seconds per pound per mile. That's automatic. That's just what you get if you lose weight. So, you know, that's 20 seconds per mile without even doing anything. That's mm. just weight. So you just see, like, I find it extremely difficult after doing it for 11 years now or even after four years that I was to see bet movement. So it's almost like you get yourself to a spot where, you know, it's really easy in the beginning. Oh, I'm losing weight. I'm doing this. I'm getting faster. I'm eating better. I'm doing, and it's just like monumental. And then at one point trying to run that race you did last year, two minutes faster seems impossible. Mm. And I mean, it's just it's such a tough thing. So it's almost like, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that first four years because it just seems everything was new. Everything was better. It was always getting better. And then after five years, you're just like, it's not getting better. <laughs> you know, I'm getting worse, so I can't do that. And mm. so I, I don't know when that scale tips, but at one point it does. And now, it, 12 years later, it's it's tough. And I can't repeat the same times yeah, well, then you get you start to continue to drill down into the fringe of uh, trying to create higher yeah. performance. So, like, are you sleeping with, you know, uh, Wi-Fi? You, you hear all sorts oh, of folks yeah. like, are you exposing yourself to ambient light um, when it should be just dark in your house so you get better sleep? One, one thing that you just said that, again, caught my attention is things you just see and, and you notice, but... I, when I think about the framework of like uh, uh, looking for opportunities for organizations to improve, it's like, well, you can only see them in some way, shape, or form if you're looking for them. So if you've got your eye on this goal and you've got momentum behind you, we're growing, we're developing, how do I get to that next step? Which is a whole another conversation about what motivates people to even get in that mindset. But I unless you're looking for that opportunity, you're not going to see it and you're going to continue to repeat the same mistakes of the past. What do you think about the early on years? And maybe this is, maybe the more importantly, Frank, is like this second part where the momentum has kind of, the gains aren't as, 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 as uh, observable. They're, they're harder to find. Um, what keeps you going? Let's, let's think of you as a business. So you had a really successful first five, six, seven, eight years. And then all of a sudden you're, you're mature and you're going, and what is getting me up? So what yeah. gets you up to do this and continue to be aware and to drive you forward in these races? I think from it, its two sides is I think what I found is in the beginning I was gaining a lot of momentum from just doing anything and everything. And then at one point when I, when I found out like, hey, I got a niche for 
harder stuff, mm. for hillier stuff, for stuff that just takes grit. Um, like, I've found a niche for that, for things that are usually, it's not fast races, because I'm not fast, but um, I'm strong. So, therefore, I start choosing races that I'm strong at. And then, so, kind of going into the, like, for me, it's like a business is, I'm not great at a lot of things. At more, it's like, hey, we're going to do all of these great things when it comes to safety and protection. But you want to know what we're really good at is loving our partners, valuing our people, protecting the value and quality of their life. So therefore, maybe I won't be good at all these other compliance things, TRIRA, all these other little things. I'm sorry, I'm going into business. I'm just, you know, in my head. That's relevant. But we're really good at loving our people. So everything else is just outside. And so for us, it's like, that's what we do. And yeah, we might not be the best here. Our loss ratio might not be as good as that or this or that, but we're going to love our people better than anybody. So I kind of, I guess that's what wakes me up in the morning to Hmm. figure out how can our people feel valued more and more every single day this new COVID thing, how can our people feel valued and not judged? I mean, all this stuff. And so from running every morning is, uh, or every day is just like, how do I, I'm, I'm more training for grit now. Like, how do I make myself tougher? You know, <laughs> wake up every morning, I do 50 push-ups. I take a cold shower. I, you know, do another 50 push-ups while I'm brewing my coffee so I'm just like training whatever looks hard so it's kind of like I'm motivated that's what wakes me up like hey what tough situation can I put myself in today and be uncomfortable and be okay with it that's kind of what wakes me up in the morning yeah you mentioned that so that kind of lit there was a light bulb that went off when you talk about your niche what what immediately rang out my head and then you talked about your just the central theme at Moore's being your care for your people it's the thing that came into my head was keep the main thing the main thing. And the branch from that that I thought of was something that at Scott we've talked about for a few years, which is there's a lot of conversation these days about safety culture, safety culture. And a few years ago, we kind of thought, you know, it's culture first, and then safety is an intentional byproduct of the of the original culture. If you've got cultural brokenness, you can't just lob on safety culture and think it's going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, the example I've given is like it's your high school sweetheart and you're having a hard time relationally and you go, you know what might make this better? Let's get married. Then maybe things will <laughs> That'll make work things out. better. Yeah. <laughs> well, so and so segueing into the next part of grit that you mentioned. How do you how has your mindset evolved to lean into that the grittiness of a lot of these races? Because I think while it's several tiers below you, I'd say that it, I'm not the most athletic, I'm not the strongest, the fastest, but I'd say there's a there is a gear that allows me to grind a little bit further than you know. The, you, we all have these competitors yeah. in these races, right? Where you go back and forth with them for the first 20 miles or 30 miles, and then you finish ahead in the end, and it, you were both going back and forth for forever, but for some reason, I just, the edge comes on at the end. There's just, there's a fire or an offense or something that 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 clicks on. Right. So how does that, what about, um, you know, that grind, or, or rather, where's the mentality for you that kind of allows you to lean into that grind? 
I, I really, I've, I was asked this question before on a, another podcast as well, and I, I don't know if it was just something that I've always had. I think if I had to look at it, my mom, she's the queen of grit, and I watched her put herself through college and have four boys and, you know, one of her sons actually pass away. And I've seen her just day after day, just be full of grit. And so if I had to tell myself like where one, the example was of grit was my mom. And I just never saw her quit at anything. Mm -hmm. And not only not quit, but she just excelled when most people didn't. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was the prime example and then the second thing is, I don't know, man, I love the process of becoming discomfort, you know, uncomfortable. There's something about it. I don't know what it is, man. When, when I'm climbing a mountain, when I'm doing something, when I'm feeling horrible, I just love that process. And yeah. I know, I don't know if that's slightly masochistic, <laughs> maybe, but either way, I was reminding myself, I ran this 40-mile race this last Saturday, and I said, you love this process. That was in my mm. thought. Don't love the destination at the end, this little finish line. Love the process. And so every time there was a hill, I'm like, you love this stuff. And every time there's a downhill, you love this stuff. Every time my quad was going to cramp, I was like, you love this stuff. Like, you just learn to love the process. Mm. I mean, that's really, because isn't that 90% of it anyways, <laughs> you know, the process? Because the end is... A few seconds. Yeah, it's a yeah, few seconds yeah, long. Exactly. Yeah. What? So as I've gotten older, it, not just in running, but in other facets of life, gardening too, because it's a slow burn. You know, you start growing your plants indoors in January by seed, and then you don't see anything in many cases, depending on what you're what you've planted until July, August. So that's a a long process. And what I've learned over the years is exactly that: that I love process, development, growth, the product. To me, it, it's funny because once the, uh, this is a strange aside, but once the vegetables and all the crop starts to come in, my wife and my girls love to go out. And strangely enough, I, it's not my favorite thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I, like, I like going and toiling and working and, yeah. and seeing what works and learning is maybe the most important thing for me is each year I garden, I learn something I did, the width of the rows, the type of soil mixture, the compost I put together, that I could refine. And to me, I, uh, to your point, I can't put a finger on finger on what it is, but it's just this enjoyment, this love for just seeing things grow yeah. and, and learning, really. Um, what are the mantras that you tell yourself when you're in the grind? I know everybody's got, and some of them are weird. I've got some weird yeah. ones. <laughs> so maybe you don't share whatever you want. Well, the, but the funny thing is every single time I run, a race or do something, the mantra changes. And it's not so much that you go into it with that mantra, because I've tried that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this to myself and then all of a sudden you're not. And so I've just gotten very comfortable in going in without the mantra and then letting the mantra come to me. Mm-hmm. And this last one was you love the process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like don't look back. Like uh, there was one race where I kept telling myself, don't look back. There's tons of race in front of you. Um, another one just recently, Promised Land, it kept coming up in my head was um, break through the barrier. Like, because every single time, like, there's 
Oh, I'm gonna, I want to walk this hill. No, break through that barrier. Oh, I want to stop. No, break through that barrier. Oh, I'm whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like break through the barrier. So, it, And they all just come mm. in to run. It's funny, but that's just, but it's also like, I'm one of those guys where it's just, I used to try to come in with that, but like anything, you can come in with any mantra, but the race, the life, you know, whatever throws something at you and you have to come up with the mantra that's presented to you at that point. Because it could be, I twisted my ankle, okay, well, keep running or, you know, just whatever that is. So it's just, um, I don't have one specific one, but I always have one. It just comes up every time on the run. Yeah, that's interesting. It would rem- The safety net is creating one before the run, so you feel like you got this thing to hold on to yeah. to carry you through. It's like a PowerPoint for a presentation. It makes you feel safe, but it, in some cases it can restrict your, your freedom and creativity for what you're f- feeling from the audience in the moment, the paths and tracks you want to go down. For me, the, the, the mindset, the overarching mindset that has been valuable to me is to main, maintain an offensive-oriented mindset. So these things aren't happening to me. I'm happening to them. So if it's pain in my knee or if I'm climbing something that's significant, I'm happening to the mountain. The mountain's not happening to me. Or um, if the wind is blowing in my face, um, I am running so fast that the, I'm breaking the wind. <laughs> right. Like it is not, It's not holding me back. What what are some of those mantras again? I, bringing it to like, uh, from I, d- I did just think of one that I always tell myself, and it's it's uh, it's like this phrase that it catches. I said, "You're not hurting, you're just hungry." That's <laughs> what I, and that one has saved me from many times because a lot of times when you're running, your stomach doesn't have any blood because it's trying to keep your legs from moving, and you can't eat. So therefore, that starts this whole cycle of like what you think is hurting. So. I've learned to tell myself, like, you're not really hurting. You're just hungry. Like, Mm. so just like, you know, those Snicker commercials, you're not you when you're (laughs) hungry. It's like, (laughs) that's kind of the same. You're not, there's a lot of fake pains that you go through during a run, and it's really not a pain. You're just starving, and you're letting your mind focus on that. Mm. As soon as you eat, that pain goes away. I mean, it's it's true. So you're not hungry. So you're not, you're not. (laughs) <laughs> hurting, you're just hungry. That's gonna, a big one. I'm going to try to remember that okay. in my next race. <laughs> hopefully, th- hopefully that works. And if it doesn't, I'm going to tell myself it's working really it, well. Tell yourself it does. Um, so you said at the very beginning that it's an eating competition, eating and drinking competition with running, and it makes me think about the. There's so much noise and clutter around a lot of the activities in the risk world, the safety world. But fundamentals, winning fights, getting back to the basics, understanding that hey ultimately it's your the the bare basics that win the day is what really just kind of struck me is that it's literally in these races sure you got to be in shape you got to prepare that's no doubt but it's food and water yeah what what for moors or for companies because you you know you've you've seen a lot of organizations over the years and been involved heavily with developing and growing teams and coaching people what are the fundamentals the basics that you would say have to be there for companies to be able to ultimately get to the direction, be heading in the direction that they want. For me, it boils down to two things. And uh, again, eating and drinking. What's the eating and drinking for a company when it comes to their protection program, safety program? And that's to value human life because that's really what you're doing. 
you're protecting someone's life that is innately valuable, that cannot be purchased again, that cannot be, I don't know, you just can't put money on, on value of human life. And then the second piece, water and food, the food piece is you value the people that they represent, the quality of life they represent. Yeah. Because behind Alex, I see his wife, I see his mm. kids, I see that. I am responsible to your wife now. Yeah. I am responsible to your children to get dad back to them for the, so they can cry and have a quality of life. For me, if you can get those two things down, those are the eating and drinking of life. Those are the, the blood, the oil of life. And for me, I think that's, I don't know if it's fairly new, but I think it's a movement because up until, you know, I came to Moore's and had the freedom to feel that, it's always about other stuff, finances, um, you know, data, whatever measures that you want to put into it. But those are all, like you said, fringe benefits mm -hmm. of we valued life and we valued the people that it represents. So, I mean, to boil it down, that's those are the two things for me. Yeah, I, there's this thing that, that I've thought over the years that the the more of what you do begets more of that thing, and it's hard because in the in the protection and safety and risk world, folks in in your position and in in our world are really charged with tracking a lot of metrics. These KPIs, TRIR. But I ultimately, I, I don't want to dismiss that because it's valuable, right? Yeah, it's a score. It, it helps it you identify. But on the other hand, I see so many organizations where you're involved in a meeting, and that's, that's really all that they talk about. And it's void of kind of the human equation. It's why in surveys a few years ago, I started adding this thing in that every client I did it with kind of pushed back on. They said, that's, I don't, what's the point? I mean, it was sincere. It's, what's the point? What are you trying to get out of that question? And the question, uh, to paraphrase, was if there was something personally or professionally you wish the leadership team knew, please share it with us. And you got it all over the board. Different people's diseases they were struggling with that nobody knew about, something they were really proud of, a hobby that they'd interfaced with frequently that they were really passionate about. And it humanized all of the responses. Yeah. So all of a sudden it wasn't just a complaint or a piece of constructive criticism or a positive that they were sharing. It was, hey here's this person behind this that shared this input and also become vulnerable by sharing a bit of themselves yeah. with us. It's a really, really important piece, you know. And, and don't get me wrong. It's it's not like we're just like, oh, okay, value human life and people are, there's no, like you said, there's no metrics behind it. But we do some heavy metrics, but every metric we do, we have three main ones filter back to if we do this right it is showing that we're valuing human life if this right. person is you know doing this protection plan on this construction job you know and we're reading it it's showing that he's valuing life and then mm -hmm. you know the people he represents so don't, don't get me wrong those things are important um we do them ourselves but ultimately you know everything needs to be filtered back through that. And I think that's what it is. It's the driver. It's the motivation. It's the why we get up every morning because you don't get up every morning for the data. You get up every morning because something's making you cry. Something's making you, you know. Yeah, the, the, the data is the product. Yeah. And, and where the real growth opportunity and learning and development is is in the process. And the people are the process, if you will. Tell me, uh, tell me about your lowest point in a race. Do you remember one 
in particular where you just you felt like, man, I, I can't see a way out of this? So just recently, actually, happened <laughs> okay. to me. And, I'm uh, sorry to so <laughs> open up a fresh I've wound. had two of them, actually. It was uh, in December, I ran a race, and it was my first ever race that I didn't complete. Mm. I've done 67 ultra marathons, um, all the way from, you know, 50K, 31 miles, all the way to 100 and, and plus miles. But this one's a 66-mile race in December, and I got to mile 30, and my calf was just blown out. And I had been limping on it for six miles. And I quit. Mm. And I never thought in my life I was going to quit a race. And um, and it was just really low. One, low because I don't know how, but over the course of the last 10 years, I've built up like a little bit of a local legend. Oh, Frank the Tank, you know, he never quits. He's always mm. this way. And I didn't want to let people down, man. And mm. after 65 races or 64 at the time, um, I quit my first one. And everybody kept saying, what, what happened? Like, did your leg fall off? Did you do something? <laughs> right. And the worst part about it, it was an injury that no one can see. I wish my leg would have fallen mm. off or I would have fallen out the side of the road or broken a femur. That would have been a lot easier to explain. But this one was just a torn muscle that mm. I couldn't keep going on. So... That was one, and that was just low, man. I think the low point wasn't so much in the race. It was leaving, mm. driving away from something that you've never done before. I mean, it's making me emotional right now, but I'm like, oh, man, like, what am I going to? I had a tough time explaining to my kids. They're like, Dad, how'd you do? Because they've never seen me quit. And I'm like, oh, I quit. And they kept saying, no, you didn't quit. I'm like, I did. So that one was a tough mm. one. And then recently I went to this really hard race in Tennessee and I got to a spot and I knew I was going to struggle there, but I didn't struggle in the way that my body was dead or my mind was gone or, you know, I got lost or a shark ate me. It was just more of I got to a spot that and I think it was that I could have kept going, but I didn't keep going because I didn't. I was unsure. It was like, I don't know how to explain it to you. It wasn't a matter of grit. I quit because it was just risk management. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get back in time or get not get lost. And, dude, that one was, that one's been eating me up for the last, since March of this year. Um, it's been fueling me. It's been fueling my training. It's been fueling, like, don't ever stop because mm. of any other reason besides you know like just either a grit reason you can't keep going your leg fell off you did something but i've had some pretty significant failures in the last seven months i would say well i mean you think about what we talked about earlier and and the ease the momentum and the motivation early on and it seems to me almost um there's there's what is it called? Uh, uh, S. Synchro. Uh, why am I blanking on that? Serendipity, almost, in the reality that you're being dragged back down, and and that failure, if you want to call it that, um, is what's actually propelling you yeah. to find more yeah. fuel and energy, which I think is actually a success story. Like it's to me, if you parallel it to like. Because my next question was going to be, how did you, how do you bring yourself out of that? Like, what, what, the day after that, the week after that, maybe before I get to that question, how do you pull yourself up 
after that, you experience a failure. How did you get yourself back up? So in those two specific times, in the time where the calf blew out, it actually made me focus for the next four months on making sure it's that same calf that always gives me problems. So go figure out why it's giving you problems. Up until that point, I never really wanted to figure out why do I keep having problems in my right leg? Well, it turns out my left glute's not, you know, firing when it needs to. And so You've my had that calf issue since 2017 yeah, at least, because so I remember running right. with you. And and I've just been like, oh, okay, it gets better. So, so it's made me like pull back and say, figure out why. Find out the foundation. Figure out how to engage that left glute and make sure your right's not hurting. So... Um, to pull myself out of that is like, hey, go back to go forward. You know, take two steps back so that way you can take five steps forward. So I did that. I went to a sport and spine specialist, found out why it wasn't engaging, found out what I can do, invested thousands of dollars in, um, you know, making sure I'm taking care of my body after, you know, I'm 10 years, 12 years later from the time that I started. So I'm no spring chicken, but um, and then the next one, this last March, is it's fueled me. Like, mm -hmm. it is the next race that I did that. I didn't walk things that I normally walk. I didn't, you know, stop when I normally stop because I'm just like, you will not. The pain, I think I told you this before, but that pain of regret is hurts a whole lot more and, and mm -hmm. <laughs> sticks with you a lot more than the pain in that specific mm -hmm. time yeah. for the next 20 minutes. Yeah. So it's those are the two ways. I, yeah, I guess you would call them failures, but I mean they're incredible lessons learned, and it, hopefully will. Yeah, it's funny because you can classify depending on the the time frame you're looking at anything through. It could be a failure in the moment, in the like like stocks. Your stock could fail today, <laughs> pretty miserable, but you don't look at it that way. You look at it over the life of the of the yeah. investment. And so my guess is over the life of your running career, this will be to some degree an inflection point where you've, you've found the energy and the fuel and the motivation again to continue to push you forward. But one important note is really that, that you actually pressed pause and instead of kind of, you know, glossing over where the, I'll call it disease, it's not a disease, but where the, the origin of the problem was, right? Your glute misfiring or not firing in the way it should be. You had to drill down and, and take a deep dive and, and, and yeah. look into what the issue was. Parlay that over to organizations who experience a significant loss. I think it's so important and so many folks in those moments want to just react in the moment and fix it because we want to make things right. We can't believe this happened. And they want to get past it but you're not going to get past it unless you actually pause and reflect on what are all the forces of culture that led us to this moment where this event took place? Who do we need to speak to? I mean, you went to see a specialist. You didn't look inside at Frank for 100% of the answer. You looked externally and engaged folks who are professional, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a lot of lessons there that I think folks can learn from that business gets busy. We have accidents you can come and become inoculated to them, another recordable, another, another incident or injury, and we kind of roll on. But each one of those is an opportunity to just press pause and really reflect and, and try to appreciate, and maybe I need to look outside of just myself to understand how this happened. Yeah, and it was actually the first time. Uh, I'm fairly prideful 
in the fact that, you know, oh, I can run through stuff. I have grit, right? But it was the first time I truly went to someone and said, whatever they say, I'm going to do because <laughs> my greatest strength is my greatest challenge, right? Mm. Oh, I, I'm super strong. I could do this. Well, but yet then, hey, don't run and just do this. Oh, no, they don't know what they're talking right. about type deal. So I said, I'm going to do exactly what they say. I'm going to invest the money in exactly what they say, and I'm going to do it for as long as they tell me to do it. And uh, it's helped out. It's paid dividends. But And so in a company, sometimes... You know, we're actually just going through that right now. We've come off of the best year, and I'm talking about the best year since 2015 here at Moore's, loss ratio, everything, cultures, I think, spot on, like, Mm. where we are going, yet we had this large loss claim, and I'm sitting there with Andy this morning, the president of the company, and saying, man, what what are we doing, man? How can... How does this help us? Where where are we going to go? And we came up with some solutions that are just out-the-box thinking where most companies have been like, well, there's nothing we could have done about that. The mm. guy was, you know, it's just aging workforce. That just stuff happens. And this, well, we're like, how do we help our aging workforce? How do we get, you know, it's just sitting down and just really realizing it could have been easy to be like, oh, okay, well, th- we just had a accident that was large loss, but it wasn't our fault. Our culture is great. Well, yeah, but what, let's dig into it. You know, how do we get better? How do we not... Not to say that we're not going to have this one again, but let's lower the probability of the aging workforce having this for their sake and our sake. Let's uh, lower the probability of, you know, so we're just kind of all over the place. But we actually spent about an hour talking about that large loss, um, you know, and caring for our partner. And I think it's going to make us better because we already talked about some things like functional movement screenings for Mm. the people, for certain at-risk people or I know you can't do it by age, but just even saying, hey, if you're over a certain age and you want this, we're going to pay for it. It's going to help you. You're going to, you know, if your left glute's not firing, they're <laughs> going to fix you, you know, that kind of deal. But um, and I think anybody that's in that age bracket might appreciate that. Keeps them in the game longer, right? Industrial athletes, that's what they do. That's right. Yeah. So. I mean, as you're speaking about that, it, it, I, I think psychology is so important. I mean, it, it, it. It's really the hub of how we orient ourselves in the world. And the psychology I hear is one of offensive posture, not defensive posture. One in which an incident happens and you have the opportunity to say from a defensive position, well, this is just the nature of the business. These are the things that happen. Um, that That's just to be expected to a certain degree, and, it, and it's tolerable. The offensive posture is, no, 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 no. This isn't just happening this can't just happen to us we have to we have to influence it so how do we what levers do we pull to manage that in the future better and that the 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 fun part about that if you want to call it that is that's a never-ending journey there's always more and more levers to pull but parlaying it over into like your running career the more proficient you get in it the more refined those levers are. And so the harder you have to work to make the smaller gains, right. which which is maybe a good message for folks today. If you're an established and mature organization, it's going to take you that much more energy and effort to make the gains that are going to be noticeable. Yeah. All, as opposed to like, yeah, in 1990, we didn't have any safety program. We didn't have anything. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it doesn't take much to make it safer when nobody's got hard hats, gloves, safety glasses, any of those things. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, again, low-hanging fruit in the beginning of an organization that doesn't have a great culture. It's super easy to do. And you see tons of movement, and it's very quick after you've been doing it for so long. And your value is just straight proactive and culture and value of life. Man, it, it just seems tough to get a little bit of movement. You know you're moving, but it just it's harder to see it in general. And then you're always trying to... I don't know. I kind of I'm one of those guys where I'm always trying to change <laughs> something because I just hate <laughs> just stagnant. So I'm changing all, and some of my guys are like, "Hey, just let this work for a little bit." You know, so I'm like, "Well, we had a we had an injury. We should do that." Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're okay. Mm. You know, our culture is good. We just need to, you know, s- tweak this or do this or change this metric or... Not a total overhaul. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for like, no, <laughs> scrap it. Let's start here. And, you know, that kind of deal. And it's just... Um, but I'm. that's kind of me. I'm a dreamer. I'm always dreaming of changes. And I have a good team that I told them. Um, at one point, I asked them for advice. I said... And they're like, Frank, you're like the guy that says, like, hey, we're going to meet down here. Follow me. And you're just driving and you forget people are following <laughs> you. <laughs> right, you know, right. I said, look back in the mirror and make sure we're there. And so it was good advice because sometimes, you know, I can be driving as fast as I want. But if my team's lost, then that's not going to help me at all. So it's been good. They are courageous enough to be like, hey, you're driving too fast again. <laughs> like, OK, so. Well, what is you're a dreamer, and you like to challenge yourselves and find yourself yourself in positions where you've got to lean into the process and find grit. I mean, what could possibly be next for you? What what's keeping you dreaming, and and yeah, what's next for you in the in the ultra world? So, um, I think it's just finding tougher races that have a very high probability of failure. Mm. And to, for some odd reason right now, that's on my radar. Like races that, oh, okay, it's, y- you're going to finish. It's just a matter how fast. Mm. It's races that not too many people finish, and it's a high probability of failure or, you know, not to finish. Like for some odd reason, that's just like, fueling me right now so when i'm looking at races i'm not looking at like yeah i'll do local ones just because they're fun and they're here but really i'm looking for ones that like what's the next level what's the you know oh run in death valley you know at a you know for 135 miles and oh yeah that one sounds great and you know run a race where only 15 people haven't finished ever like i wonder what i could do there you know just Mm -hmm. 200 mile races uh do that so it's just for some odd reason that's what that's where I'm at in the next level. It's not for everybody, but it's kind of like, yeah, I've done 60-something races. It's few and far between where the outcome isn't a finish and a decent finish. Now I want the outcome to be like, you got a 50-50 chance to yeah. finish, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at right now in my in my heart, you know? Yeah, I think, I think most people are like that in different shades. I think there are employees within organizations all over the world, really, but keep it small to the country, who have a fire in them that want the next challenge, that want to be a part of, um, sorry, the, the uh, we went long, so the <laughs> outro music. I was going to say, I'm like, that's like, like the, 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 Oscars. the Oscars. Okay, Jonas hey, bye, everybody. But they want to be a part of something that's challenging, where there is potential for failure. And it, it makes me think, man, there are things we want in life, and there are things we need, 
And I think the things we need are to be pushed and challenged. So if you're an organizational leader out there, think about that deeply. Think about how to motivate your folks and to push them and to challenge them, even towards the brink of not failure in the sense of a, uh, an accident or an incident yeah. or an injury, but how are we developing and pushing people to be the best version of themselves, which you know, ultimately actually really in encourages and enforces the culture that, that folks are trying to build. Yeah, man. One of the biggest things I think is wasted on, and I'm talking about specifically for Moors, is the idea of just potential. Mm. And I think that's what you're talking about. There are people that want to be passionate about protection and quality and production, but for some odd reason, they feel stifled or they can't. Like, so we just waste tons of potential, man. And I, I don't ever want to waste that for, so I'm, I'm trying to think of it for myself, for the people around me, for our company, our organization. Like, what potential do we have at Moore's to impact others, um, to influence others, to start a movement? So I'm always a sucker for trying to make sure we gain and just wring every little bit of water out of mm. that sponge before, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think you, you're only as good in your ability to influence others as you are in your ability to care for yourself and to push yourself. Yeah. So if you're out there listening and you're looking for a challenge, I'd say the challenge is relatively arbitrary. Find something, lean into it, dig in deep, find that as an individual, and then see if that energizes and motivates you to push that out or something along those lines, that energy at least, to your people. And you'll, you'll find yourself a better organization for it. I agree. Well, Frank, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. I the love outro it, man. music I is chasing. The yeah, outro music good. is chasing me. So, <laughs> so we'll wrap it up. But okay. uh, good to see you, and um, hope to catch you out on the trail soon. Until next brother. time. Yeah. Take care.